the reason I want us to be in the book of Exodus tonight is this. On Sunday morning, I'm scheduled to preach a sermon entitled, uh, A Great, what did I call that? You can tell it's wonderful, right, that I can't remember this. I did it on Monday, but I think I called the title, A Secret Weapon for Spiritual Warfare. Now, how's that? I'm going to be preaching Sunday on fasting, but I was, afraid if, I was afraid if I put fasting in the title, nobody would come to church on Sunday. So I'm tricking everybody, except you, I'm telling you tonight, knowing if you came on this night, you will certainly come on Sunday, whatever the sermon's about. But fasting is that. It is a, a secret weapon in the spiritual battle that we are in with our enemy, the devil. God has given us, and we're going to look at this verse on Sunday in 2 Corinthians where God said, the weapons of your warfare, Paul said the weapons of our warfare, are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And one of those weapons that God has given us is fasting. Now, for the last 10 or 15 years, or maybe longer than that, we have taken three days in January to do a media fast, where we ask everybody to disconnect from their media for for three days. And as I was preparing that on Monday and have thought about that sermon and about the three-day fast next week, I'm going to kind of back off of the media part and lighten up on that part and say, you may want to do a media fast. But I want to encourage everybody who's at church on Sunday that when we get into the last three days of January, that's why I've got to preach this sermon on Sunday. We're running out of days in January. That Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of next week, that you could fast from something on at least part of one of those days. If it's not a three-day media fast, maybe one day you give up lunch. Maybe one night you give up Sports Center before you go to bed. And you say, instead of watching Sports Center tonight, I'm going to spend that time in meditation and prayer and seeking the face of God. So, you know, maybe you do something different. Whatever fits, whatever, whatever um, how do I say that? Whatever shoe fits your foot. You could just make up your own fast. And we're going to be thinking about that on Sunday. Why do we fast? Why, what, what, how is fasting going to help anything? And, and I'm going to deal with that fairly thoroughly on Sunday. Not overly thoroughly, but fairly thoroughly. One of the things we know is that sometimes in life we need to fast because we're, we're facing a... What's the, what's the best? We're, we're, we're facing a problem in our life. Maybe we're in a place of desperation, and we look at the situation that we find ourselves in, and we've prayed, and we've sought counsel, and we don't have, we we, we want to know what to do. We don't know what to do, and there's something about not just prayer, but prayer and fasting. I heard James Dobson say many years ago, he said, I don't understand this whole thing about fasting. He said, but I know this much, having done it in my life. He said, there's something about fasting that honors God. And as a result of that, there's something about fasting that God honors. So I don't think it's really a big deal whether you're fasting from the television, fasting from food, fasting from, from, uh, whatever, it's, from whatever it might be. Uh, there's something about depriving ourselves of something that we enjoy. You may want to fast from cookies. That'd be a big deal for me because I like cookies. To fast from sweets, to fast from Coke, to fast from the morning news, to fast from the evening news, to fast from Seinfeld or whatever you watch right before you go to sleep. Just to fast from something that you enjoy. It's not necessarily sinful 
as we'll see tonight, this whole idea of denying ourselves, it's not just that we're going to say, I'm, not going, to, I'm going to cut out all the sin. Well, we certainly need to do that. But sometimes God asks us to sacrifice something that in and of itself isn't sinful. Food isn't sinful. God made our bodies where we have to eat. And so there's nothing sinful about eating. Now, there's something sinful about overeating, but there's not anything sinful about eating. And so when we choose not to eat a meal so that we can take the time we would have been preparing the meal, eating the meal, and cleaning up the meal in prayer to God, and God looks down and God says, I know they would rather have eaten than to have not eaten. <laughs> I know they would have rather have watched, if you're a sports fan like me, Sports Center than have not watched it. You know, I, I know they would rather have gotten, I do this a lot on my phone at night. I'll get on there and just start Googling things and searching and what's happening in the world. I enjoy that. It's relaxing. It's a diversion to me. It fills my mind, not necessarily with spiritual things, but it fills my mind with things that are not work-related, not sermon preparation. <laughs> you know, it's just what, what's happening in the world. What did the stock market do today? It's interesting. What, who, who won the primary last night? Who, what's going to happen in the upcoming election? I mean, these things are they're interesting. to me. I don't build my life on them. I don't put my faith in them. But I keep up with what's happening. I'm not naive or, or un, un, you know, not knowing what's going on in the world. I, I do all that. But, but so for me to say, I'm not going to look at any of that for three days. Well, I mean, I'm giving up something that I pretty well enjoy keeping up with. But see, God looks at that and God says, now I know tonight John would rather be looking at all that and seeing what Tom Brady did today. And is there any chance he might come out of retirement? <laughs> something like that. And he's not doing any of that. And I think that touches the heart of God. So I'm going to be dealing with that on Sunday. But tonight, this is the Wednesday night crowd. And as I was thinking today, God, what should I speak on tonight? I had not a word audibly from God, but an impression in my spirit, which is how I normally know what God wants me to do. And it was like God said, John, tonight, take them to the book of Exodus. Take them to chapter 19. Remind them that it was in chapter 20, God said, that I gave Moses the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. On, on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 20, God gave Moses the Decalogue, as some would call that. The Ten Commandments, ten clear words from God. So everybody, that's one of those chapters in the Bible, just like 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath. Just like uh, Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Just like John 15, abiding in Jesus. Just like Romans 8 and all the greatness of that, of that chapter. John 3, Nicodemus. Exodus 20 should be, that there, should be an, there should be antennas that go up in your mind. That's where the, Everybody needs to know where the Ten Commandments are. Even if you don't know all ten of the commandments, you need to know where they are. And they're in Exodus chapter 20. And so when we're reading our Bibles... Even if a preacher is preaching through the book of Exodus, he's going to get to chapter 20 and hunker down and preach on those Ten Commandments, and that'd be a wonderful thing to do. But nobody much talks about Exodus chapter 19, because here's what I want us to see tonight. Yes, it was in Exodus chapter 20 that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments that would govern the lives of the Jewish people and even our lives today in many ways. But it was in Exodus chapter 19 that the people prepared themselves 
for the word that God would give them in Exodus chapter 20. So chapter 19 is all about preparing to hear from God. So next week, if you choose to participate in any part of that three-day fast, giving up anything that you enjoy, one of the things that you'll be doing is you'll be praying, God, I mean, if you're in a desperate situation, I hope you're not, but you might be. One of the things that I'm going to bring out Sunday, sometimes we fast, not because we're in a desperate situation. We fast, though, because we're facing a decision. God, what should I do? Should I do this or that? Should I go here or there? Should I buy this or that? Take this job or that job? What should I do? God, I'm at a crossroads in my life, and there's no verse in the Bible. Sometimes you'll hear a preacher say, everything you know, you need to know in life is in the Bible. Let me tell you something. The person who says that has a good heart, but they're just off in their mind. Everything you need to know is not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. In fact, one of the ways I know that is because the Bible tells us not everything we need to know is in the Bible. The Bible says there's many things that we have to pray about. We have to ask God's will about. My father, we celebrated on Sunday. He'd been the pastor here for 34 years. There's nothing in the Bible that says leave where you are and go to Pasadena. That's not in the Bible. And so I think it's a well-intentioned statement to say everything you need to know about life is in the Bible. No, it's not. Everything you need to know about how to know everything you need to know is in the Bible. But the Bible's not going to tell you whether to work at this refinery or at that school, that's not in the Bible. The Bible's not going to tell you to either join this church or that church. Now, I think you should all join this church. I mean, I've been my friend. But it's not in the Bible. The Bible's not going to tell you whether to buy a one-story house or a two-story house, a new car, a used car. Bible's not going to tell you that. Bible's not going to tell you whether to marry this person or that person. Look, most of the decisions we make in life, there's not a verse telling us what to do. Now, there are principles, there are guidelines. There are clues, there are hints, but listen, for, for making these life decisions, we have the Holy Spirit who guides us. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. If everything we needed to know, if there was a verse in the Bible for it, God never would have sent the Holy Spirit. He'd just say, go find the verse and then buy the house, or go buy the, find the verse and then take the job. No. The Bible tells us we have, listen, the Christian life is a walk with God. We are walking with God. He is guiding us. He is leading us. And the primary way he does that, certainly through his word, but it is also by his spirit. So what I'm saying is this tonight. It may be that even on this service, or for those watching at home tonight, you are in the process of making a decision. And you need to know, what would God have you to do? See, you need the same thing that the Jewish people needed when they were at the, at the standing at the base of Mount Sinai. You need a word from God. And God knew that those people needed a word, and that's why he said to Moses, Moses, come up here on this mountain with me. And he went up there, and God came down, and God met Moses on top of that mountain, and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and Moses took them down, and Moses shared those commandments with the people, and that governed their lives. And yet, it was in chapter 19 that, in essence, God said to the people through Moses, you're not ready for a word yet. What you must do before I give you a word, what God says to us tonight, what you need to do before I show you which decision to make, you need to prepare your heart and to prepare yourself to receive a fresh word from God. Now, 
That said, let's look at Exodus chapter 19, and I have printed out in your outline tonight, in your little handout, six things, and I'm not going to belabor any of these, but six things that you and I need to do as we prepare ourselves. See, I think this is a wonderful thing for us to do tonight and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and then come in here on Sunday and think together about a three-day fast in some fashion. But before we even get into that, we say, God, how can I prepare my heart? You see, if you decide to participate in that fast next week and you say, for part of these three days, I'm going to do that. I'm going to seek God with, with extra intensity. I'm going to let fasting, prayer and fasting, be one of my secret weapons in the Christian life and in the spiritual battle we're in, and especially as it pertains to making a decision and knowing what I should do. Well, that's, that's how we should all hear that sermon and respond. But what I'm saying is, how much farther ahead will we be who are here tonight if we say, before I even start the fast, where I'm hoping to receive a word from God, I am going for these next few days to prepare myself to hear what God might say to me. Preparing to hear from God. That's what we need to do. So the question is, how do we prepare? Let me mention these six things. Number one, I would say this, wait in God's presence. You just wait in God's presence. Now, this is going to be a very, uh, those of you who like expository preaching, and that's, that's what we do here. But I want you to, in Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, here comes an expository sermon. In verse number 1, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. So they've been out of Egypt now for uh, three months, and they're, they're at, at Mount Sinai. Verse 2, for they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Now I want you to imagine in your mind this beautiful, huge mountain. It's referred to in the Bible, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, H-O-R-E-B, and the mountain of God. And so here the Israelites are, approximately 2 million Jewish people have come up out of Egyptian bondage. And Moses is leading them. The Bible says there were 600,000 men is how I get that number of 2 million. And if most of the men were married and then kids, you add it all up, you're going to be in the neighborhood of 2 million people. And so these 2 million people now have come to the base, to the foot of this huge mountain, the mountain of God. And they're looking at it and they're marveling at it. And God has been communicating to Moses, and whether Moses fully understood this, God was about to call Moses up on the top of that mountain and give him the Ten Commandments. But before that happened, before they received the Word of God, what did they do? They just stood at the base of that mountain, and they waited. They waited in his presence. And that says to me, when you need a word from God, and we all do from time to time. In fact, we need a word from God every day, but there's some t critical, crucial times we need a word from God. It begins by getting in God's presence. You see, that mountain represented the presence of God. Mount Sinai did. And so they just stood at the base of that mountain, and they're just waiting on further instructions. And sometimes that's what we need to do. We just go into the presence of God, and we just sit there. I've quoted before the verse in 2 Samuel where it says, King David went in and sat before the Lord. He just sat there. 
Now, he eventually said some things to God. But when he first got there, he just sat there. I would encourage you sometimes in your quiet time, when you get in it, when you get into that wherever you are, wherever your room is or your place is, before you even say anything to God, just kind of sit there and wait in his presence. Let me ask you this. When, in, in, don't answer it, but in your own communion with God, do you ever say things to God like, well, God, what are you thinking today? Or do you ever say things to God like, um, well, God, how, how am I doing? Or do you say everything to God like, God, is there anything in my life that's not right with you? Anything. In my thoughts, in my desires, in my attitudes, in my behavior. Is anything not right? You know, and I don't say this critically. I honestly do not say this critically. And I don't say this with anybody in mind. But it's a conviction I've had for many years. I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons some Christians seldom ever read their Bible and pray is because they don't want to look God in the face. And see, that to me is part of what a quiet time is. It's not just reading the chapter and checking it off or saying the prayers and moving on. That's part of it. I mean, much, much of my own quiet time is very regimented. In fact, my prayer, some of my prayer time have, may have become too regimented just because I've prayed it so long and everything I'm praying is very meaningful to me. It's not vain repetition, but it is much repetition in some of my praying. Not all of it, but some of it is. But in some of my time with God, I'd just rather look up at the ceiling. <laughs> I can't see God's face. But when I say look God in the face, you know the spirit that I mean that. That's what, see, part of, a, part of a quiet time should be just looking God in the face. And even without saying anything, by just looking at him in silence, basically what you're saying to God is, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now, you don't have to say that. But what did Paul, that's in Psalm 139. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 13? Something similar. He said, examine yourself. So part of, and, and even before we have the, the Lord's Supper, you know, let, let a man examine himself. If we would examine ourselves, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But look, we only have the Lord's Supper, you know, a handful of times here at the church. They're all meaningful, but we don't have the Lord's Supper every time we meet. And even if we did, there are more days we're not here than when we are here. I don't need to just, even if we had communion every week, I don't need to just examine myself on, examine myself on Sunday. I need to examine myself every day. And part of this communion, part of prayer it's not just got a this, that, him, her, blessed it. No, I mean, that's part of it. But part of it is, God, how am I doing? What are you thinking? What needs to change? Now, I'm not saying that at the base of that mountain, the Israelites were doing all that, or the, I'm not saying they were doing any of that. But I'm saying they ought to be, and they should have been. <laughs> I mean, if they were aware that that mountain represented the presence of God, they should have spent, and I'm sure they did, some time there just waiting in God's presence, listen, listen, friend, waiting time is not wasted time when we're waiting on the Lord. Now, none of us like to wait. I, I don't like to wait at a restaurant or a stop sign or a red light or, you know, but it's part of life. 
but part of life is what, so we just wait in his presence and just be still. When I was in, be still before the Lord. When I was in seminary, I read a quote that I'd never have forgotten. I forgot who said it, but I remember the quote. And this man said this, hurry is the death of prayer. Hurry is the death of prayer. Now, that doesn't mean if you're in a hurry, you shouldn't pray. You can pray on the run. But you also need those times where you can just linger and wait in God's presence to prepare your heart so that he can speak. You know, if, uh, well, let, let's go on to the next one. Number two, wait in God's presence. I've said enough on that. Number two, reflect on God's provisions. You see, when we enter into the presence of God, it shouldn't just be with our request list. There, there sh- we should ease into the presence. You know, the presence of God is like an ocean. You begin in the shallow and you move out to the deep. You, it's like a pool. You, you start on the, on the end where it's not so deep and then you can swim out to the deep end. You don't, as a general rule, you don't, I mean, you can, and sometimes circumstances require it. You just jump out there and start praying. You know, to, you can do what you, can, you can't pray wrong. I'm not saying that. But more often than not, as we're moving into the presence of God, you have to remember that even though we are forgiven and saved and covered in the blood of Jesus and all that, we are still sinful human beings. No matter how much we love God or how long a person might have been saved. And so we're going into the presence of of holy God. And so we want to ease into that presence. And and as, as we're easing into the presence, we're just waiting in His presence, thinking about Him, But then we begin just before we even start praying, just to reflect on God's provisions. Look in verse number 3. And Moses went up to God. Now Moses is going up to the top of this mountain. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I have a booklet called On Eagle's Wings. It's taken out of that verse. On Eagle's Wings. What was God reminding Moses of? He was saying, Moses, you you saw how I delivered my people out of Egyptian bondage after they'd been there for 430 years. He's just reminding you. They've been three months, they're three months removed from crossing the Red Sea and coming out of Egypt. And God is just reminding Moses, "You, you saw what I did. And it says to me, that the reason God reminded Moses of that is because God wanted Moses' mind to be filled with what God had done for him. So when we go into the presence of God, we should spend some time reflecting on his provisions for us. God, before I, I have some burdens today, God, I have some concerns today, I have things on my mind, and I'm going to get into all of it. But before I say anything, God, I want to thank you that I'm saved. God, I want to thank you for and just. You know, you don't have to think very long to think about some of the blessings God has given you. Just think, just from, you just eat, you just, you're not in the deep end yet. You're still kind of just on the shore, just beginning to put your feet in the water of his presence. And you're just moving a little bit, a little bit closer. But you just take a few minutes and just reflect and just think about how good God has been. And there's something about that that kind of put th- puts things in perspective. So like, for example, you go into the presence of God Let's just take salvation. And you just thank God that you're saved. You thank God that you know that you're saved. Now think about what that means. God, I thank you that I'm not going to spend a gazillion, billion, trillion years in hell. 
but I'm going to spend all that time in heaven plus a lot more than that. Well, that'll kind of put your problem in perspective. I mean, in light of whatever this burden is that you might have, compared to that, it can't be that big a deal, right? I'm not saying it's not a deal, but it's not that big a deal. So God, you've already met the big need. Like, that's what God was saying. See, he had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and that Egypt represents our lost condition. Pharaoh represents the devil. Egypt represents bondage. And when we got saved, we were freed from the devil, and we were brought out of the bondage, and now we're moving closer to God. And so God's saying, Moses, you, just rem- you remember from whence you have come. And it's not just salvation. It's other things that you've been through, other battles you have fought, other crises that you have faced other obstacles in life, and you looked at them 10 years ago or 12 years ago or 5 years ago, and you thought, there's no way over. This will, be my, this will be the death of me, the end of me, and it wasn't. And by the grace of God, you're still here, and he saw you through that. You say, God, I just want to thank you. <laughs> God, I got some things to talk to you about, but I've got to just take a moment here and just reflect and thank you for your goodness to me. Number three thing. We want to obey God's instructions. Now, look in verse 5. This is a tremendous verse. I like verse 4 because he talks about how he bore us on eagle's wings and brought us to himself. But verse 5, God said, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be, watch this, a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God said, Moses, let me tell you something. If you'll just do what I've told you to do, and if you'll lead the people to do what, I've told, what I'm about to tell them to do in the Ten Commandments and what I have told them already up to this point, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that you're a very, very special treasure to me. You, you'll be the apple of my eye. There's something about obedience. You know, sometimes we're asking God, when, when we're facing a decision, God, could you show me what your will is on this? Show me what to do. Now, think about this. You still listen? Say amen. If God has shown you something to do in your life, and for whatever reason you haven't done that thing, what would make you think that God's going to show you the next thing you ought to do? Does that make sense? In other words, one of the ways... To know what God's will is for you next is to make sure you did the last thing God told you to do. Because if I was disobedient on step eight, God told me on step eight, do this, and I didn't do it. I justified it, rationalized it, but I didn't do it. I just did not do step eight. I just skipped step eight. But I'm looking at step nine, and I'm saying, God, I need to know what to do on step nine. I think God's attitude toward me and that or to you in that situation would be I would desire nothing more to show you what to do on step nine but until you've been obedient on step eight I'm not going to show you step nine one of the ways to know what God wants you to do next is to make sure that you've done everything you know that God has told you to do so let me just turn that into a pure application in your life is there anything that God has told you to do from his Bible, by his Spirit, or in any other way. It would probably be one of those two ways that for whatever reason you haven't done. Well, God says if you'll obey what you know to do, 
He's going to show you the next step, and you will be a special treasure to him. Now, let's look at step number four. Step three, we're going to obey God's instructions. We're just at the base of the mountain here. God hadn't given us the word yet. He has not answered our question or showed us what to do. We're at the base of the mountain, but we're there doing what? Waiting in his presence, just clearing our head, examining our heart. We're reflecting on his blessings and provisions in the past. We're saying, God, is there anything I've not been obedient? Is there anything you want me to do that I haven't done? Because if so, I need to do it. Bring it to my mind. And God, if there is something, he will bring it to your mind. And then the next thing we want to do is to consecrate ourselves. Look in verse number 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and believe uh, you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, now watch this, and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. I looked that word consecrated up in several translations today, thinking there would, there would be some different words. But for the most part, all the translations say consecrate, most of the translations. Some may say sanctify, purify, cleanse, prepare. So when, when God was saying to Moses, consecrate yourself, What was he really saying? He was really saying, Moses, what you need to do and what you need to lead the people to do is to, as they examine their life, if there's anything there that doesn't belong there, get it out. Set yourself apart for me. Remember, we're moving into the presence of God, a holy God. If I had been invited today to meet with the governor in Austin, I would not have rolled out of bed in my pajamas, gotten in my car having not combed my hair, with my house shoes on, and driven to Austin to meet the governor. I would have gotten up, cleaned up, shaved, put on a suit and tie, and and gone to Austin to meet the governor. And I would have prepared myself to meet the governor. Look, friend, we're not preparing to meet the governor. We're preparing to meet God. And so God said to Moses, hey, this is serious business. You must consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself, and, uh, and then you can come into my presence. Look in verse 12. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. God reminding Moses here, he was reminding Moses that that mountain represented his presence, and that pres- his presence represents holiness. And the children of Israel could only get so close to it. Now, this is one of the advantages we have in the New Testament, is that you know, the New Testament says, let us come boldly there to the throne of grace, that we may obtain. We don't have to stand back like they did, because we've been, through the blood of Jesus, we can come into the holy of holies, into the presence of God. But in Old Testament times, they couldn't do it like that. And so only Moses could go up. In fact, to show you how serious, in verse 13, not a hand shall touch him, but, you shall, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man nor beast. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain. So God was so serious about this. If somebody tried to go up that mountain, you couldn't even go and kill them with your hands because now you would have touched someone who's defiled. You'd have to Kill them with a stone or in some other way. So, but the point here is to consecrate yourself. Now, in verse number 15, we see our next step, the fifth step. We're just trying to prepare ourselves on this Wednesday night, getting ready for the weekend, 
before we do something on a three-day fast next week, we're preparing ourselves. And the next thing we're going to do, we're going to deny ourselves. Not just of something sinful. We should always deny ourselves of something sinful. That's not just during a fast. We, we're never supposed to indulge in something sinful. You, can't, you shouldn't say to God next Monday, God, for the next three days, all those sins that I always enjoy doing, I'm going to just take a break from those sins, but I'm going to pick those back up on Thursday. Because God doesn't want us to sin. But the fa- fasting is not primarily from something that's sinful. It's just from something that you enjoy. In verse number 15, he said to the people, be ready for the third day. It was on the third day that God was going to come down and, and meet with Moses. Be ready for the third day. Now, then he said something interesting here. Do not come near your wives. Now, why couldn't they come near their wives? There was no sin in that. In the New Testament, we read the, the marriage bed is undefiled. There's no sin in, in that. But what was God saying? God was saying, I'm asking you to give up something, not that's sinful, but I'm asking you to give up something else. And uh, it, it was a sacrifice, but it was, a, it was an act of denial. And that's, as we think about next Monday, Tuesday, or, and Wednesday, that's what we need to be thinking about. God, what is it in my life for three days, for part of three days, for part of one of the three days? What is it that you would have me to give up so that when I would have been doing that or eating that or watching that, that I could spend that time in prayer, that I could spend that time in contemplation and in meditation. It's got to be something that's meaningful to you, you know. For me to give up spinach would be no sacrifice. God would not be pleased because I don't like spinach. Uh, you know, to give up something that, you know, people who say, well, I never watch TV anyway, I'm going to have a media fast. Well, I mean, if you never watch TV, why would you, why would you have a media fast? I mean, you're not, there's no... David said at the end of, of uh, 2 Samuel, I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that, all, that cost me nothing. If it means something to you, it will mean something to God. If it means nothing to you, it will mean nothing to God. That's why I'm saying I think we need to expand it from not just me, just whatever, whatever God leads you to do. But you deny yourself of that thing for that amount of time so that you can spend that time seeking the Lord. And then, lastly, you expect God to speak. You expect God to speak. Faith. You can't ever do a whole sermon without getting on this subject of faith. And here I'm using another word, but it's just faith. It's just expecting. God, I'm seeking you. You have said in your word that if I would seek you, that I would find you, that if we will seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. Seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door will be opened. So, God, I'm asking. I'm seeking. I'm knocking. And not only that, I'm expecting an answer. This decision that I have to make, I'm expecting an answer. Now, I, don't, I may not get the answer during the three days, or I may. I may get the answer the next day or the next week or some later on time. But I'm expecting you to answer. We won't read the rest of the chapter, but look beginning in verse 16. Then it came to pass on the third day. See, that was the appointed day when the Word of God was going to be given to Moses. But they spent these other two days preparing For that day. So it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderstorms and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud, 
so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. They're at the base. They're not going up that mountain with Moses. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. It was the presence of God coming down on that mountain. And that's why God said, Moses, you better tell those people, don't, don't, get, don't get too close to that mountain. They will die. You are allowed to come up, but the others must stay down. Now, again, with us today, we can all go up into the presence of God through Jesus and through Jesus only. But God spoke. He came down in this supernatural way. And then if you look in chapter 20 at verse 1, God spoke all these words saying, and beginning in verse 2, we have the Ten Commandments. So on the third day, God gave them the word they needed to hear. And what I'm saying to you tonight and what God is saying to us tonight, if we will do what they did in anticipation of our three-day fast, if we'll wait in his presence, reflect on his provisions, obey his instructions, if we will consecrate and dedicate and sanctify ourselves, denying ourselves of something in the name of God, And then if we will expect God to speak, then God will indeed speak. And God will, if we're facing a decision, we're focusing more tonight on a decision, God will indeed speak and he will tell us what to do. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Now, here's the question that I would have if I were listening to this tonight. Because I love to listen to preaching. And I would be be as attentive as you've been. But I would be asking myself this question. Okay, John, I'm going to try to do those things. You're telling me God's going to speak, but how is God going to speak? Is God going to do what he did back then and come down and there's going to be thunder and lightning and a dark cloud? And I would say maybe, but probably not. He could. God can do whatever he wants to do. More than likely, God will show you what to do, maybe by a clear word in Scripture, maybe by an impression in your spirit, Maybe by a direct answer to prayer. My dad shared on Sunday, he shared it fully in the 11 o'clock, not fully in the 9.30 because he thought the 9.30 had already heard it and they wouldn't enjoy hearing it again. And I said between services, why didn't you tell the story the whole way? And he said, they've already heard it. They didn't want to hear it again. I said, well, I wanted to hear it again. He said, I'll tell it at 11. (laughs) And he told it. But he told, and I can tell it briefly. How when he, we were, well, I was gone to college, but he was living in, my family was living in East Texas, and he had been dealing with First Baptist Pasadena, and had turned and said, no, I don't think it's God's will. And one Thursday afternoon, he's walking across the sanctuary of that church, and he felt impressed by God to get out on his knees and pray. I'm telling this for the sake of those who are at 930, so you don't know what I'm about to say. And he said, God... I don't know why I'm praying this, but I feel led to say, if you want me to go to Pasadena, when I stand up to preach on Sunday, I pray the pulpit committee will be in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. He got up off his knee and walked out and didn't think anything about it until Sunday morning. And in the second service, he's standing up on the platform during the singing time. And he looked across the sanctuary, and he started seeing pulpit committee members who had not been there in months 
They'd been there before and had talked to him before, but he had said he wasn't interested. He didn't feel led to come down here. And he said when he saw those men that he had, and women too, who he had gotten to know, he knew in his heart that he was gone, that he was Houston bound, Pasadena bound. Now, how did God show him what to do? Through a direct answer to prayer. That wasn't a Bible verse. That was just a direct answer to prayer. And so how will God show you what to do in that decision that you're facing? I don't know how. His word, a direct answer to prayer, his spirit. But I know this. When God makes clear what it is he wants you to do, you will have a peace in your heart that passes all understanding. And if you will follow that peace, you will be following the will of God for your life. Amen? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just say tonight in your own words to God, God, hadn't thought much about a three-day fast or a one-meal. But God, as we look towards Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of next week, I wonder, I'm asking you to show me what you would have me to deprive myself of for any part of that three days. But you'll show me that maybe on Sunday. But today, tonight, I'm asking you, between now and Sunday, to help me to take what we've thought about tonight and prepare myself to hear from you so that when you speak, I won't miss it. I'll have done what I'm supposed to do in chapter 19 so that I can clearly hear what I need to hear in chapter 20. If you've never been saved, I have not preached a sermon tonight on salvation. But that's okay. I've preached truth. And the Holy Spirit is here. And all you need to know to be saved is that God loves you. That you have sinned. Just like I have and like everybody else had. But you have sinned. You too have sinned. And that's why Jesus died. To pay the penalty for our sins. Tonight, if you want to be saved, pray this prayer, Lord Jesus. Forgive me, cleanse me of all the things I've done wrong. Come now to live in my heart. Make me a Christian, Jesus. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.